0: Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael and we are here today as part of a new podcast series that I'm calling Journey Through the Realms, where we're going to discuss a bunch of the various settings for the D&D role-playing game. Today we're here to discuss Dark Sun. Now, Dark Sun was originally published in October of 1991 for the second edition of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. It was later re-released in August of 2010 for D&D fourth edition, and it currently is not yet released for fifth edition. The credited designers for Dark Sun are Timothy B. Brown and Troy Denning. Joining me today to talk about Dark Sun is my guest Robert Aducci. Robert, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. So you and I have crossed paths a couple different times, uh, mm-hmm. once in particular on an elevator, I think at either Origins or Gen <laughs> yeah. Con. Uh, and I'm certainly familiar with with you and kind of what you do in, in the hobby arena, the TTRPG space, but mm-hmm. not everyone may. So let's let's get to know you a little bit before we jump too hard into Dark Sun. Tell us a little bit about what you do and, and how you interact with the hobby in general.
1: Yeah, so uh, currently I am the uh, community manager for Ulysses Spiele. Uh, we make... Uh, a few role playing games, uh The Dark Eye, Torg Eternity, and um Fading Suns, among some other things that we're working on. But um I kind of started in the industry mostly with D. Uh and it actually was kind of Dark Sun that really got me started working professionally in the industry. I um uh let's see, about in two thousand twelve, Timothy Brown, the original uh, like one of the co creators of Dark Sun, was doing a crowdfunding and I um you know, he kept, you know, he was posting on Twitter and stuff like that. I'm like, hey, let's talk about this. Maybe I would like to hear about this. And finally, he was just like, hey, do you want to do this? Do you want to do Twitter for me? And I was like, sure. So I just kind of started doing that. And then I had also, you know, during fourth edition times, actually just before that, yeah, during fourth edition times, Teos uh, Abadia, one of the big Dark Sun fans on the internet, um, was doing stuff with Bald Man Games for fourth edition um, Ashes of Athos Dark Sun. And I started editing some of that stuff and I ended up writing some of that stuff. So um, between kind of the two of those things that eventually you know, culminated in me actually working for Wizard of the Coast as a community manager for Adventures League. So I did that for a few years. And then from there, kind of started writing and um, I kind of do the gamut now. I do editing, I do writing, I do community. So I do lots of different stuff. The only thing I don't do is pretty much like direct uh, production in the industry. Mm-hmm.
0: And then I know I just sort of like kind of this came up as a bit of a lark, like almost everything I've ever done with the RPG Academy, just like <laughs> I have an idea and I just try to turn it into reality. Right. And so I threw out on my Twitter feed, like, "Hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. I need some people who might want to talk about." And Dark Sun was like the first one I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And you and Teos were like the two people that everyone else came and said, "These are, you know, one of these two people are the people you should probably talk with." <laughs> so definitely well known in in, the, in at least my Twitter sphere mm-hmm. that you are one of, if not the go to Dark Sun expert. So I want to kind of start broadly. What is it about Dark Sun that you feel sets it apart? And this isn't a better or worse, Mm -hmm. but just different than a traditional or or an other... Because I think Forgotten Realms is kind of the standard, maybe not for everyone, but I think in the industry, most people think Forgotten Realms is standard. So what is it about Dark Sun that sets it apart from some of these other settings that people may have played in?
1: Yeah. So for me personally, what set it apart was two things. One was just like the timing. Um, I started playing D&D in like the late 80s, like 89 or so. And we'd played like, you know, Redbox, um, basic D&D, and we had just gotten into into AD&D for a little while. And... Right in like 1991, probably like 1990, 1991, I started thinking about running my own game, and I saw some ads, you know, in Dragon Magazine for this desert setting, and it looked amazing and it sounded really cool, and I really connected with those ads and then with kind of everything that I read about Dark Sun because I'm from Phoenix, Arizona, and like I really understand the desert. Um, Yeah, and like you know, you're talking about how Forgotten Realms is sort of like the standard fantasy, and, and you know. Between that and Tolkien, it's like forests and mountains and things like that. And it's like, I don't really understand what that looks like. Like, I, I you know, I had obviously seen pictures and things, but never sure. spent a lot of time in those areas. And so I, it never grabbed me. Um, but when I started, you know, hearing about Dark Sun in the desert, um, that really grabbed me. And so I understood how to explain those places. And one of the cool things about Dark Sun was that it's not just desert, like, every, there's multiple different kinds of desert just like in real life, right? And so like right. most people think of deserts, a lot of people of just like the Sahara Desert, right? Just dunes, but there's lots of different kinds. And so um, that just really grabbed me because I could really understand it. And then on top of that, you have the aspects of like ecological disaster, which, um, you know, I appreciate, uh, you know, I don't necessarily like it, but I appreciate it. Uh, sure, and so yeah. there's that aspect of it. There's the aspect of like throwing off the chains of tyranny, which I love that aspect of it, too. And and then I love um, psionic powers are really big and dark. And, and I've always liked that. So like all those things together. Um, kind of make it a post-apocalyptic world, which I also love Mad Max and all that stuff. So just all of these elements together really make it kind of the setting for me that I've loved since 1991.
0: Right. And I think it's kind of interesting that you brought that up because that's something I, I would never have thought of, but I grew up in, you know, rural Kentucky mm-hmm. and I was that kid that, you know, I would go out on my bike and I would be home maybe that day, maybe the next day, this is well before cell phones, uh-huh, right. you know, and we we would climb, trees and climb rocks and go just into the woods and explore we swim in creeks and and so when I do think about you know Tolkien-esque fantasy because I didn't read Tolkien for a very long time but that's the sort of the a lot of the fantasy I read like you said it's hills and forests and mountains and Mm -hmm. caves and that's all the stuff I was playing with as a a kid so I I think maybe that's why I did attach to it because I could very easily describe what it feels like walking through a forest Mm -hmm. or you know hearing the rustling of leaves and to have someone like you that that's completely a foreign thought. I, <laughs> yeah. I had never thought about that because I thought like, it's fantasy. Everybody knows fantasy. figure. <laughs> right. those individual experiences do make up a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of reminded we played uh, Deadlands once mm-hmm. with one of my home groups and one of my players, Nico, was, uh, ha- has Greek heritage mm-hmm. and he had absolutely no... Nostalgia for like Western, yeah. <laughs> so none of the tropes, none of the, like so all the other office we were kind of really into, it, and he's like, this makes no sense to me. Like he doesn't just didn't get cowboys. So yeah. it's kind of interesting that you brought that up. Uh, the one thing I didn't want to talk about too is psionics. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one of the things that I didn't care for about Dark Sun. I just was never really into that. It's one of those like peanut butter chocolate doesn't quite make a sure, sure. Reese's paint for me. Mm-hmm. Um so we'll talk a little bit about psionics in Dark Sun. And you don't have to I mean this is a huge topic, so I don't want you to spend sure, two sure. hours on it, but <laughs> but uh, how was it integrated into that setting? Just you know, it wasn't just an like, add-on, it was like it was instrumental, mm-hmm.
1: right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was uh written with uh psionics from from the beginning. I know Steve Steve Winter had a, a bit of a hand in in the setting. Um uh, and and he's the one that wrote the original Psyonix handbook uh, for second edition, and so um, so you know those ideas were definitely baked in, and they kind of baked them in even more by kind of changing a little bit of the details of it. So uh, you know in in Dark Sun, magic is destructive to the land, and so they I feel like they kind of wanted to counter that a little bit. One of the big things about Dark Sun is that they wanted they wanted to be different than your kind of Tolkien fantasy, and by uh, one of the ways they did that was having uh, arcane magic be destructive to the land. And so therefore they needed something else that sort of took that place without it being magic because it, magic was destructive in that way. And so they they decided to bring in uh, psionics, which are kind of powers of the mind. And within Dark Sun, it's called the will and the way. And so if you have the will, um, you might have like what's called a wild talent, which means you can do a little bit of psionics, but not much, like you're not trained. Um, and so every character, every player character will have at least a wild talent. Um, Not necessarily every NPC has a wild talent, but a lot of them do. And so it's, it's, it's very common, basically. Um, And then the way is like, if you're trained in psionics, then you have the way and that means you're like a full, at least in second edition, a psionist character.
0: And I think there were some differences too with like your standard races. Um, oh yeah. Again, I know I know Dini right now is getting away from that term, and I, I'm happy that they are doing that. Yeah. But it's also sometimes hard to like talk about it. I'm <laughs> sure. not sure what other species maybe. Yeah. Uh, but basically, you know, the, your origins, your uh, your ancestry, mm-hmm. to use the Shadow the Demon Lord term, mm-hmm. that you like your standard characters. I think was it ogre? Yeah. Was that one that you could play or troll? Uh, or? I,
1: no. So yeah. actually, ogres. One of the cool things I loved about Dark Sun was that um, uh, there were not a lot of the standard fantasy races even if they were like the quote-unquote you know evil races or whatever they were destroyed and that was part of the history like nobody really knew why part of the reason i love dark sun was because of that mystery of like what happened to the world to get it to here and in the original dark sun campaign setting um it was written in in a first person so the the this wanderer character kind of wrote the it's called the wanderer's journal and it's basically what you read to learn about the world and so it's biased and it's you know you don't really know if it's accurate because it's just someone telling you the story of the world or sure telling you these locations so you never know why all of this came into play so there's all these mysteries and one of those mysteries was that um a lot of the races are different right your elves are tall and they live in uh kind of nomadic tribal societies and dwarves don't have beards and there are creatures called moles which are like half dwarf, half human. Uh, and then there's half giants, which are literally half giants, they're obviously some sort of magical creature because that's not a natural mating pair, right? And so right. um uh and there's all kinds of there's other races as well. And so it just kind of throws everything on its head. Um uh the setting does and that was one of the other interesting things to me.
0: And wasn't there also a rule that you started at like second level or something? Because they just assumed that no one would survive? Yeah,
1: third level. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things was that, yeah, the world is very harsh and, you know, it's in, there's like gladiators and slaves and there's, you know, even the monsters have psionics. And so they kind of assumed that to live into this society um, where all of these things were reality, then you would have to be stronger than the average people to be, uh, to to survive. And so therefore it it assumed that as people that were stronger than the average, you were starting at third level not only that but you also uh, so in classic D&D you know your stats went from 3 to 18 you rolled 3d6 to figure those numbers out well in Dark Sun stats went from 5 to 20 so you had you rolled 5d4 to figure your stats out and then okay. the uh race uh modifiers were roughly double of what they were in regular D&D so like giants half giants were like uh what oh, god What is the number now in second edition i want to say it's like plus plus 4 to strength and con and things like that so they were super strong oh, wow. and tough yeah
0: so, again, I'm just trying to remember some of the the, the aspects that I recall, mm-hmm. but I, I guess I'll just put it to you. So, there's obviously, there's a lot about the setting you love. You're very familiar. Are there any other sort of unique features of this setting that you think, maybe for someone listening who's not as familiar as even I am, mm-hmm. that you would like? This is a selling point. We've already talked about psionics. Uh, you know, the, the world is vastly different. It's post-apocalyptic. It's a desert. Mm-hmm. Arcane magic destroys the world. So, you kind of try to avoid that. Uh, but is there anything else about that setting that's that's unique to Dark Sun that you think would be a cool thing to talk about?
1: Oh, uh, definitely. I think um, uh, so all of the classes, you know, in addition to all the races being slightly different, all of the classes were um, slightly different as well. And the way they modeled that was they kind of had, um, you know, they had new classes, um, but they also had, um, you know, all, they were all all the classes changed slightly to to reflect this. War World. Uh, So that was one one of the first ideas of the world was that it was going to be a world that was tied with um, Battle System, which was like a second edition, kind of almost miniatures game that you would use with your D&D miniatures. Um, And so they wanted to really tie it to that and have like wars sort of be a constant thing in the world. And um, as a result... The characters were made in such a way that they reflected, like, eventually once they hit 10th level, which in, you know, older editions was called name level. And that's where you kind of started to get followers and things like that. Mm -hmm. So fighters ended up being, like, generals, right? And so they were able to advance and get huge armies. Well, your wizards, if wizards could tie themselves to psionics, so if, if you had a wizard psionicist... Once you got to really high level, you could transform and become something else. Like you combined psionics and magic together to make like a greater power, and then you became what's called an advanced being. And one of the secrets of the world, this, I mean, this came out in the second, literally the second book, and also it's the the whole purpose of the um, the Prism Pentad, which are the five novels that kind of came along with with the setting, was that there's this creature called the dragon, and the dragon. Uh, You know, again, you know from the original box set, you don't really know who or what the dragon is. You know, there's also only one dragon in the entire world of Dark Sun. That's kind of broken down later. But point point is, the dragon was once a powerful wizard, psionist, and he transformed into a dragon. And so Mm -hmm. he is, you know, the evil wizards that destroy the land. They're called defilers. And if you have a defiler who is also a scientist. they can eventually turn into a dragon. Well, conversely, there's also magic that doesn't destroy the world, and it's called preserving magic. And so mostly when player characters, you know, when people play Dark Sun, and they play a wizard, they play a preserver. And so they don't have to destroy the land, they just cast magic slower. And so even those people can get really high level, and they turn into what's called Evangians. And those are basically, again, you know, they're almost like not quite an angel, but, you know, something along those lines. And so there's this epic struggle for the world by these advanced beings. Um, you have, uh, we didn't mention this, but um, one of the ways that they turned clerics on their head is that there's no gods in dark zone. There's no gods on Athis. And so instead of worshiping gods, people worship the elements because the elements are laid bare. You've got your, you know, fire and air, um, earth and water. Water is obviously very rare in a desert setting. Um, And so people that worship the elements, they get power from them. And, you know, now using what we know kind of in fifth edition, if if Dark were made today, the clerics might be uh, warlocks instead of clerics, because it's sort of like they make packs with with Mm -hmm. the elements, um, these greater elemental beings. Um, But going back to those that high level, when a cleric becomes high level and pairs with psionics they can become a, a kind of a greater elemental creature they can turn into elements an elemental a number of times a day and so oh, wow. there's this greater sort of um higher um calling for characters uh to become sort of the movers and shakers of the world instead of just individually powerful they they start you know controlling nations and and things like that within the world so i think that's something that's not often seen especially in fifth edition these days of of that sort of grand epic destiny.
0: So uh, I'm assuming you probably have had, or maybe you still have like an original boxed set. Oh that yeah. This came in. Oh, yeah. Uh, was there anything inside of it that, that was just cool that you'd want to remark on? Did it come with maps? You know, is there anything just about the box set itself that you'd like to share? Uh,
1: the box that, yeah. So one of the cool things about second edition uh, dark sun that they did, uh, that was completely different. Again, a new thing for a new kind of um, rule set was they had these flip books. And so the adventures came in um, two different books. One was um, for the Dungeon Master and one was for the players. And so the flip book format had, uh, they were like basically five by eight um, spiral bound notebook. And so for the Dungeon Master, one page of it was kind of one encounter. And it also said, you know, at an appropriate time, have the players turn to page 25. And it would have an image or it might have some text for them to read out loud or something like that. And so there's a ton of images. Um, and it was just a, it was a novel way to do things. All of the adventures end up coming like that. Or not all of them, but a lot of them end up coming like that. But they were very expensive and the boxes didn't hold up well, you know, having these weird books in them. And so they're kind of like, yeah. they weren't like full boxes. They were like kind of the little flip hard, uh, like just kind of things where you would slide the flip books into them. And so they were a bit awkward and they don't stay very well. Um, So it didn't end up being something that they used, you know, over and over. But it, it was uh it was a novel way to approach adventure writing.
0: That's very cool. Uh, are there any particular like feet or are we were talking about feature, like locations, uh, you know, like in Eberron, you have Sharn, the city of Towers mm-hmm. and, you know, in Forgotten Realms, you have Waterdeep. Are there any like places, whether they be cities or just anything else that are like really prominent in Dark Sun that characters might probably come across in a campaign?
1: Yeah, as far as like actual places where people live, um, so there's kind of seven city states that are, um, that are the core called. They're called the Tablelands in um, in Athens, and these seven sorcerer kings all rule the city states with uh, this iron hand, and so they're all like tyrants, right? But in sort of the the um, tradition of post apocalyptic, you know, kind of settings these are like the only big places of civilization right and so you kind of have to go there in order to have food and water and while food and water might be plentiful there you also have to live under the regime of a tyrant and those people for some reason again you know at the beginning of the campaign you don't know any of this uh, like any any of these reasons but for some reason these people are very powerful and they control the city and they can also grant magic to their followers and so they have people called templars who are sort of like in in second edition they were they were called priests, but again, in fifth edition, also in fourth edition, they made them warlocks, and so Templars okay. were kind of a, a type of warlock. And they um, they're very corrupt. Um, you know, you can bribe a Templar pretty easily. Um, and they, you know, the city states don't allow you to cast magic within the city; it's illegal because it drains the life of of the world. But also because the sorcerer kings want to control the worlds or control kind of the their their area. They don't allow people to read either. And so reading is illegal um, and usually punishable by death. And so each of these city-states, one of the things that they did was that they modeled each city-state off of a culture uh, from our world. And so while they're not exactly a, a, a direct translation, they're, you know you, sure. you can tell by the art and things like that and some of the details of, of them. So like Baelic is modeled after Rome. Um, Drage is modeled after uh, like uh, uh, the Aztecs and the Mayans. And so each city state has their own kind of thing to it.
0: So again, trying to translate this to uh, things I'm more familiar with, uh, there's probably ways to have an adventure as a party to go outside of these city states. And like, there might be like ruins or underground complexes fighting monsters, but you could also have more of like a city Mm -hmm. based or an urban based adventure where you're dealing with like the politics, maybe eventually trying to overthrow or free this, these city states. Uh, Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, like what kind of adventures do you think this setting really supports maybe over some other settings might
1: yeah so um i think the kind of default adventure is this sort of exploration of the world even though um you know even though people live in this world they are mostly ignorant of its history um because the sorcerer kings uh, have such a grip on knowledge and reading um it kind of m- gives that sort of um you know Star Wars aspect of kind of learning about the history of like what happened before, and so um part of that is going to be traveling from city state to city state, which is dangerous um in and of itself. You have all these strange monsters and things like that that come out of the waste that you have to deal with, but also like you said, there are ruins and things like that, and so as you explore the ruins, you can discover the history of the world, and that is the thing that really drew me into the game because we didn't know what it was, and na- now you know what it is uh 30 years later now, we know what that history was, or at least what they wrote about. You know, you could still, as a GM, I know a lot of GMs kind of make up their own history about why all these things happen. Um, But according to, you know, Troy Denning, who wrote the Prism Pentad, and he's, you know, one of the co-authors, um, you know, they had their own idea of what the history looked like and how we got here. And so I think that's what uh, that's what I love about it. Uh, and I've run games that have like alternate histories. Um, I've run games with the core history. It just sort of depends on on what kind of stories you want to tell. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So I just added these in. So these weren't on the outline I sent you, but hopefully you'll you'll play along. I just thought of them. I thought they'd be a fun. Sure, sure. So if you were going to if you're talking to someone else who's about to start a Dark Sun campaign. Mm-hmm. What's one piece of advice you would give to a new DM specifically for running a Dark Sun type of game?
1: For Dark Sun, I think really, you know, flip tropes on their head. That's kind of the biggest thing. Like if you have, you know, for example, like I was talking about the elves. Elves in most, you know, kind of traditional D&D, they're maybe on the shorter side of humans. They are kind of these magical creatures that, um, you know, usually are more or less good you know? Um, mm-hmm. and, and so in Darkson they, they flip that on their, on its head by having them be tall. They also don't trust other people. And so as a result of not trusting, um, they like, if, if, if an elf is not your friend, they might as well be your enemy because they'll abuse you and do, you know, it, and it's not a matter of like them being evil. It's just a matter of in their culture. Friendship is a huge thing. And so once your friends you know, you, they will go to the ends of the earth for you. But before that, you're nothing to them. And so mm-hmm. that's just like a cool aspect to play up, you know. Um, so I, I would really say play up the differences between Dark Sun and your standard worlds. And that will get the people that you're playing with that have never played Dark Sun to um, to kind of see the uh, the how the world lives and how it uh, is different from other settings
0: and this is completely out of place but something you said just made me think of it one of the other things with dark sun is that it isn't metal like extremely rare so most of your yeah. weapons are like bone mm-hmm. or obsidian or something like
1: that yeah it definitely goes to the um that post apocalyptic narrative and it's funny how that how some of that came to be so um i know a lot of the one of the unique things about dark sun is that when they were writing you know when they were first starting to write the world um they were in TSR headquarters um and they literally went up to the next floor, and that's where all the artists um worked. And so they walked around the artist bullpen looking for a new artist. They, they wanted to find an artist that would fit for this world. And they and Gerald Brahm had just started working for TSR. And so they saw Brahm's artwork, specifically the artwork of Neva. If you wanna, if your fans wanna Google that, uh look for Neva. And Brahm had painted Neva before um before he had started to work on dark sun and they just said this we want this and so brahm began drawing art for them and and he not only did the writers have a huge you know um influence on the world but brahm had a huge influence on the world and a lot of his a lot of his weapons and things like that were very you know didn't look like metal they looked like they were made of bone or obsidian or things like that and so they they built that into the world in addition one of the precepts of the world was that they wanted a world where um where Boris Vallejo's art was like part of the world. And if you know Boris Vallejo's art, it's you know, it's called beefcake art and a lot of times because you know, his male and female characters almost have no clothes on, right? And so like they thought like well what what would what would give us a reason to have art like that that would fit with the world and they said, you know, if it was a giant desert. And so that's where that sort of uh scantily clad post-apocalyptic again sort of looking characters came from.
0: So then, let's flip that on its a little bit. You're a player who's about to play in a Dark Sun game. You've never played in it. I mean, maybe you don't have never played any RPG. I don't know. But just, but specifically, do you have any advice for a first time Dark Sun player?
1: Hmm. Uh, I think really dig into the differences. Um, like, don't just make a human fighter. And like, yeah, you can do that. That's you know whatever. But like, I like to really dig into the differences of the world. So maybe you want to make a you know, a preserver wizard, uh, an elven preserver wizard. And so that really, you know, you'd have to pick your elven clan that you come from being a wizard automatically makes you an enemy of the state. And so there's obviously background. uh, There's a, there's a thing called the veiled Alliance, which are basically like a club, not really a club, but like an organization of wizards um, that are surviving in city states. And they kind of work together. And so when you when you really dive into a setting by picking characters that are unique to the setting, then, you know, you pull you, you pull all these, uh you know, all this background information that that the GM can use for your character.
0: Very cool. Uh, and then I want to ask, do you have a favorite memory you could share with us, either as a as a DM or as a player in a Dark Sun campaign Just something that sticks out to you as like a, a Dark Sun moment? That's a favorite thing that happened.
1: <laughs> Yeah. So many, so many different things. Uh, one of the things that just cracks me up because it was so horrible, but I, I always think it's super <laughs> funny. Um, we, you know, back playing second edition, one of the character classes that you could be in dark sun is a gladiator because it's a like sl- kind of slavery and gladiatorial combat are, are big in the c- city States. And so one of the characters was a, was a slave. He was a mule. So he was a half dwarf slave. So he's super strong, super powerful and another character was a trader. So that's another class that's, that's new to Dark Sun. They're Dune traders. They kind of go around from city to city and, you know, trade things. Um, and so we had a trader that used to always get the gladiator into fights, right? So uh, yeah, as they would go to different places, they would get him into fights. And in second edition, we had a, a rule that if you, you know, if you rolled a 20 three times in a row, it was like an automatic kill and so
0: so it's like a crit confirmed confirmed confirmed,
1: yeah yeah and and like almost never happened right but like one time uh you know the the dune trader got the gladiator into a fight and so he starts the fight and the the gladiator was like uh i want to punch the guy in the leg as like a called shot so i was like okay and so then he rolls a 20 and then he rolls another 20 and then he rolls another 20 and i'm like a teenager i don't really have any experience and i'm just like oh my gosh so he kills this guy but he already said that he did a called shot to punch him in the leg. And I was kind of frazzled and not knowing what to say. And who knows, this is high school. It could have been, you know, we could have been up for two days on caffeine and, and playing D and D. I don't know, but, uh,
0: yeah. Mountain Dew and Cheetos.
1: Were yeah, probably exactly. Somewhere. So I said, you know, I just said, I said, uh, you punch his leg off. <laughs> And it just, you know, it sounds ridiculous. Um, and I don't know, it's just in my mind, it's just hilarious thinking about a gladiator punching someone's leg off. Like he's literally strong enough to do that. So while it's ridiculous, right. it also makes somewhat <laughs> some sense.
0: Like it's funny, but also if you think about it in like truth, it's horrifying. Yeah, that right. Someone just got their leg punched off. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. And thank you for joining me. Um, You know, I don't think these need to necessarily be kind of long. I, I want want them to be the highlights. But is there anything about Dark Sun that we didn't touch on that you do think is a pretty important part that you would want people to know about?
1: One of the interesting things is that a lot of times you'll, with settings, you know, they, you either get like a continent, right? And then like eventually they expand the setting to be more and then you eventually see the whole world or whatever. Right. Well, in Dark Sun, one of the things they specifically did, um, at least it started in that it was the tableland, So you have the map that's in, um, in the main box set. And originally that map was like the size of Colorado. And so you have this area. And what they originally just, um, had planned to do was to drill down onto individual like hexes on the map and to detail it fully. Well, what ended up happening was, you know, like in any... You know, and any company, things change as different leaders change and things like that. And eventually, another, like a revised box set came out and that took into account all of the changes that happened from the Prism Pentad um, meta plot and of those novels. And they expanded the world a little bit. And so, there's some interesting things out there that are kind of beyond the main the main world and or sorry, the main table lands. One of those things is like there's a Thrykreen nation. So Thrykreen is something we haven't mentioned. Um, It's a different race. They're like these race of bug people kind of praying mantis people. And so there's a whole Uh there's a whole uh, civilization of them that are sort of off the map. There's also a whole place to the south called the Deadlands, which is like a huge area of of, of obsidian um, that was magically put there. And there's a whole like nations basically of undead creatures down there. And then to the east, you have like the, the Sea of Silt. And that's, again, something we haven't really touched on is that the world is desert. So if the world's desert, you know, you can't, you, they wanted it to have no water. And so the way they did that was the, the ocean got churned into what's called the Sea of Silt, which is some sort of magical sand kind of stuff that things don't really float in. But like you could have ships that have giant wheels that roll um, or you can have ships that are psionically floated. So they use psionics to float on the sea of silt. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of, a lot of stuff outside of the table lands that are unknown to most people within Um, one of those things that Monty cook created. That's kind of unique, I think to um, to dark sun is these halflings that had life magic and they used basically like symbiotes, like they made plants and animals that worked in symbiosis with the halflings. And so you could have like, like living armor or living weapons and things like that, that Mm -hmm. were kind of cool. That I don't think I've really seen anywhere else.
0: No, that that is very very cool. So you did mention the books. I just want to touch on that too. Have, have you read them? Oh yeah,
1: <laughs> many Would times. Would you of
0: recommend re- recommend those to someone wanting to know more about the setting? Oh, a hundred
1: percent, without a doubt, definitely read the first book. So the Verdant Passage is awesome. I mean, they're all great, but the Verdant Passage has so many tropes of Dark Sun built into it um, that it's it's pretty much a must read. If you're gonna play Dark Sun, and you want it, you want to really get into it. Read the Verdant Passage. It's, it's it's the first of five, the rest are are all great. And they all uh, but but they all sort of move off into other areas, they move into a lot of history, um, and different locations, although the locations are are less, you know, it's more about the history than the specific locations. Um, and so I, I just think yeah, the first book is amazing. Um, also, Lynn Abbey wrote a bunch of books for it as well. And there's one called um, The Rise and Fall of a Dragon King. And that's, That's a book written from the uh, perception of one of the one of the sorcerer kings of the seven city states called one of them called Uruk, And it kind of gives, you know, they're supposed to be these evil despots and they are. But it kind of gives reasons like why they are this way. And that's, uh, you know, very interesting. Kind of like, why is Darth Vader Darth Vader? You kind of get some of that aspect.
0: Uh, so where would you send people? If someone listens to this, they're like, hey, Dark Sun's kind of cool. Uh, is there a particular place you would send them to to find more information or any resources so they could start playing? Obviously, they can try to track down a copy of the book. I'm, I'm sure Through has probably reprintable versions, but is there yeah. any place specifically you would send
1: them? Yeah, so definitely go to athas.org. So athas.org. Athas is the world of, of, of Dark Sun. It's A-T-H-A-S.org. And that's a website that I started in like 1995 or so, and so it's kind of grown um, over the years, and we've had other people work on it and things like that. And so uh, we released a bunch of content. There's a bunch of content for free there for Third Edition, um, and so you can you, know, you can download um, adventures, world expansions. Um, there's a, kind of a course setting for Third Edition um, that you can download. Also, if you want to um, read some of the stuff, like you said, on um, the DM's Guild, they do have. Um, you can get the box set um, as. Uh, a hard copy book for like, I don't know, 20, 20 bucks or 30 bucks or something like that, which is way less expensive than actually getting the box set these days, which is running like a 100 bucks, I think now.
0: Yeah, I saw one at a used bookstore, it was like $75 and it looked like it was barely held
1: together. (laughs) Yeah, so let's see. So those two things. Also, um, I had a podcast that we've put out several um, episodes about uh, Dark Sun called uh, Bonestone and Obsidian. It's on the Misdirected Mark Network, so you can go check that out. Um, and we do that's more like deep dives, like we would pick one subject and go real deep on you know all of d- the details of the world of that subject.
0: All right, very, very cool. And where can people find you if they want to interact with you specifically on the internet? Yeah,
1: so I'm on Facebook, uh, I'm on Twitter at Radu76. That's R A D D U76.
0: All right, excellent. Well, again, Robert, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you sharing your love and knowledge of the dark sun setting. For those listening, we are going to do a bunch of these. I've got a few co hosts already signed up but i'm looking for more so if you are a particular fan of a setting or you know someone who might be a good co-host for a particular setting please reach out let me know i can be found of course on twitter at the rpg academy if you'd like to email the show you can email us the rpg academy at gmail.com and obviously if you have any comments on this please again i'll i'll post this on facebook and twitter but you can also go to the website itself and leave a comment there um so yeah once again robert thank you so much for joining me and for anyone listening we'll see you next time with a different realm as we journey through them all here in the D setting so thanks and good night
1: thanks thanks for having me
0: thanks for listening to the rpg academy podcast we do this show out of love for the hobby And then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy. Or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more.